Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. In honor of St. Patrick's Day, we are celebrating the richness of Irish culture with poetry and music today. Later this hour, Dr. Scott Stewart shares his playlist of festive Irish music, including, and far beyond, Danny Boy. The musical lilt of an Irish accent is evident with our first guests. A great deal about the Irish national character was revealed in the early months of the pandemic last year. During the lockdown, social media was filled with poetic quotes. Poets read verses over the phone to people in isolation, and public health officials used an old poem by the president, Michael D. Higgins, in a campaign to reinforce physical distancing. The St. Patrick's Day observance seems ideal to speak about poetry and Irish culture with two distinguished guests, the Honorable Kiro Flynn, Irish Consul General in Atlanta, and poet Elaine Cosgrove. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you, Lois. <laughs> Thank you. Chiara, you started your new position as Consul General of Ireland in August of last year. Yes. I can only imagine the challenges. What has it been like to transition into your role during the pandemic? Indeed, it's certainly been a challenging and strange time to to transition into this role. I moved from Ireland to Atlanta with my family, my husband and, and two small kids last August. So plenty of logistical challenges, of course, setting into the role and to life in Atlanta. Most things have been virtual. So we have been, you know, facing those challenges and not having in-person connections, human interaction with so much of the the community that we have here. I will say, though, that we have, and and I reflect on this a lot, we have definitely felt a very strong Southern welcome, even if it's been mostly virtual. I think Atlanta, Atlanta is a great place to live. We felt welcomed by so many people. We love the, the nature, the setting, the beauty of the city. The weather once that high summer period had passed. Yeah, oh yes. You know, it, it has allowed us to to settle in quite well, but definitely looking forward to a time when I can get out and connect with people, meet people in person and develop those links between Ireland and Atlanta and the Southeast US that, that are so strong and, and that we celebrate around St. Patrick's Day like today. Yes, let's talk about a traditional St. Patrick's Day pre-COVID-19. <laughs> this is for both of you. Would you tell us what a St. Patrick's Day celebration is like in Ireland and how it compares to the St. Patrick's Day holiday in the U.S.? On one level, they're quite similar. You know, it's a real celebration of Irish heritage and and culture. 
and a time for people to come together. In Ireland, it is a national holiday. It's developed over the years into what's now a week-long festival of arts and culture. And thankfully this year that will be going ahead, but it will be all online, which has the added advantage that people here in Atlanta and in the US can, can join. I was really looking forward to celebrating St. Patrick's Day here in person. Hopefully in 2022, I'll get that chance. But I think that the scale of the St. Patrick's Day celebrations in the US obviously are something different. The parades around St. Patrick's Day actually originated in the US and have evolved in Ireland since then. So that's one very strong US contribution to St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And I know Savannah in Georgia has that really long heritage going back nearly 200 years of the St. Patrick's Day parade and festivities. The similarity is really that platform to showcase Ireland and for Ireland to, to engage with the world and bring communities together in, in the broadest possible sense. It's fascinating to learn that the parade was an American-Irish tradition that made its way back. Yes. Are there any other American celebrations for St. Patrick's Day that the Irish have adopted? Oh, I'll let maybe Elaine, as a, as a longer-term resident, might, might have some insights there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too far behind you, though, Kira. Um, I'm in Atlanta almost two years, and um, I've only celebrated St. Patrick's Day here really once, which was last year, but even then it was very scaled back because the pandemic had just been announced. I think the parade really is the main one. And from my own, I'm married to an American. So I know the parade is is huge. And for me, growing up as a kid, the parade was the big thing. And putting on your shamrock, a bit of shamrock on your dress or your jumper or your sweater, I should say. Turning things green as well is is such a huge part of St. Patrick's Day in the US. Actually, this year we will be with the fantastic collaboration with the the mayor's office of Atlanta, we're turning City Hall green on the 16th and 17th. So I I think that's that's a US phenomenon, turning landmarks and rivers and fountains green. Yes. That we, I think, have probably adopted in Ireland and and don't do on on the same level as much. Yeah, the decorations are probably... um all the shamrock tinsel and so on. You see a lot more of that in Ireland, which is it's cool. Yeah, it's kind of this real celebration feel. And I see a lot of it in Atlanta as well at the moment, which is great. <laughs> Are leprechauns offensive? Uh, dep- I, I think everything depends. <laughs> I mean... Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the context. <laughs> yeah, there is a, there's a leprechaun museum in Dublin. I've never been myself... Um, <laughs> You know, there there are different representations of Irishness. It means something differently to a lot of different people. Because we would hope that nothing that we've appropriated is in any way demeaning. But when you're talking about decorations, you know, you see little leprechauns everywhere. Yeah. Kara, when you were talking about turning City Hall green. Yes. I grew up in Chicago, which has a huge Irish population. And the mayor, for the first 21 years of my life, Mayor Daly, he would have the Chicago River dyed emerald green for St. Patrick's Day. And it was so welcome. It was so beautiful compared <laughs> to the muddy color that river normally showed. But we didn't know those were harmful chemicals <laughs> at the time. Well, on to poetry. Elaine, you will read one of your own poems for us today called Endless. When did you compose this? Um, I believe the first draft of it would have been in my early 20s. It went through a lot of redrafts throughout the years, a lot. (laughs) So this is the final version that ended up in my book that came out in 2017 called Transmissions, which is funny since living over here now. (laughs) I see transmissions everywhere, but not in the same way I had thought about it when I named the book. But there you go. (laughs) <laughs> you have an esteemed publisher as well. Yes, I'm I'm published with uh, Daedalus Press. They're a publisher based out of Ireland. They have a very strong connections to the United States. Many of their roster, if you like, would have visited the U.S. 
quite frequently over the years. Would you read Endless for us, please, and then tell us more about it? Oh, it be my pleasure. Endless. We become adults on roads, on lines, on grids, on greens, on grey spaces you cannot zoom in. We become older, the city as seer, decibels to scale, from stepping dawn to engine rattling dusk, to clinking night and walk back light. Shiro's Kuro lives in metered hope. We become in spite of what happens, and we are here, still here, becoming with care and listening ears. We become no matter the distortion that hopes to confuse our hearts and break them. We become electric, on and off beings, flowing again and again, endless in this sudden, glittering world of interruptions. Has the poem taken on new meaning for you after living in Atlanta for a few years? You know, it has. It's funny how poetry does that. Uh, And it's one of the things I love best about poetry is how, you know, when you reread a poem over time, how it can change meaning. And I think when you're the writer of the poem itself, it can surprise you as well. Since moving here, you know, I am living in a new city. I lived in Galway City for 14 years before I moved here. And I'm from Sligo. This idea of getting to know a city and the city being a seer or a holder of a future for you has really been, albeit restricted movement the last year. But um, I really felt that when I moved over that uh, it was an opportunity to get to know a city and its layout and people and learn more about its history. And I guess that embrace that you find and how you just keep going. You'll have light days and dark days and days you're very uncertain of yourself and other days you're like, okay, I got this. (laughs) Yeah, it really has brought new meaning to me since moving here. You chose another poem by an earlier poet of Ireland, Eva Gore Booth, Breathney. She's from the same region as you, I believe. Would you read that? So this is a poem by Eva Gore Booth and it's called The Little Waves of Breathney. Breffney is a very old name for the northwest of Ireland, where I am from. The grand road from the mountain goes shining to the sea, and there is traffic in it, and many a horse and cart. The little roads of Cluna are clear, dearer, far to me, and the little roads of Cluna go rambling through my heart. A great storm from the ocean goes shouting o'er the hill, and there is glory in it and terror on the wind. But the haunted air of twilight is very strange and still, and the little winds of twilight are dearer to my mind. The great waves of the Atlantic sweep, storming on their way, shining green and silver with a hidden hern shoal. But the little waves of Breffney have drenched my heart in spray, and the little waves of Breffney go stumbling through my soul. Beautiful. Yeah, it's very beautiful. And related to Endless... Uh, yeah, there's definitely a feeling of a harsh, a heart feeling in it of a longing or a want or this feeling of um, the ocean you feel as well, the sea feels. I feel like the Atlantic and the west coast of Ireland is, is such a, a unique place and how it can really be a reflection for so many states of your mind and how you relate to the place. Because St. Patrick's Day is also a day to remember home and um Perhaps, you know, feeling homesick or, you know, that uh, stumbling through my soul feeling, kind of the navigating feeling. There's definitely a relation between the two of them. (laughs) Chiara, you have chosen a poem for Ireland by Avon Boland. Yes. I was taken by this phrase, in the worst hour of the worst season of the worst year. And it wasn't talking about the coronavirus pandemic. Yes, exactly. It's talking about the famine period in Ireland, specifically the worst year of the famine in 1847. And I chose this poem because I think it, it reflects on that period in history, which went on to shape so much of the emigrant experience from Ireland to the U.S., I think that resonates very strongly today. And also the, the poet, Ivan Boland, 
She unfortunately passed away a few years ago. She was a much loved poet in Ireland, a, a trailblazer, a feminist. She wrote about the emigrant experience living abroad. So I felt that that fitted. And I think it actually fits very nicely with the themes that Elaine has brought up there as well. Would you read it, please? Of course. Quarantine by Ivan Boland. In the worst hour of the worst season of the worst year of a whole people, a man set out from the workhouse with his wife. He was walking, they were both walking, north. She was sick with famine fever and could not keep up. He lifted her and put her on his back. He walked like that west and west and north until at nightfall under freezing stars they arrived. In the morning they were both found dead of cold, of hunger, of the toxins of a whole history. But her feet were held against his breastbone. The last heat of his flesh was his last gift to her. Let no love poem ever come to this threshold. There is no place here for the inexact praise of the easy graces and sensuality of the body. There is only time for this merciless inventory. Their death together in the winter of 1847. Also what they suffered, how they lived, and what there is between a man and woman and in which darkness it can best be proved. That is a stunning poem, just stunning. It's a love story, yes. it's a metaphor, it's a history lesson. It's a beautiful poem. It, it's actually hard to read. It, it very, I find it very emotional. It's a nice reflection, it, as you said, of, of history, you know, what has shaped Irish identity, uh, the experience of many as emigrants, and, and that's been reflected through the lives of many people here in the US, I think. Why do storytelling and poetry reflect Irish culture so beautifully? Well, I think we're quite a verbose <laughs> um, as well, so it reflects it quite well. And We love to tell a good story, and I think there's a very strong oral tradition in Ireland, long before printing press, printed matter. There's a strong tradition of gathering, I guess, of coming together of people that goes down, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years. A lot of families would have had their local poet, if you like, their, their storyteller, someone to compose and to share the stories and sometimes through poetry and through bar, the bar tradition. Mm -hmm. I guess we just never lost that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. And I think, as Elaine said, it's about that feeling of connection. I, I think Irish people love to feel connected to each other and connected to, to others as well. And culture and poetry in particular is such a great way to do that, even if we are we are doing that virtually for now. And Lois, you, you mentioned the Irish president, Michael D. Higgins. He's spoken a lot about that over the last year, about how we need culture even more than ever now as a way to, to bring people together and, and to sustain us and to uplift us against the backdrop of, of everything that's happened over the last year. So I think it's something that Irish people and, and people everywhere have just connect with. Thank you so very much for connecting with us on this St. Patrick's Day. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. One of the gorgeous traditions of your homeland. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Kier O'Flynn is Consul General of Ireland for the Southeastern United States, based in Atlanta. She joined us with Irish poet Elaine Cosgrove. 
You can find the poems read in this interview on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Worldwide celebrations are underway as we all get our Irish on. The Feast of St. Patrick dates back over a thousand years. And since that time, we've updated the celebrations to include corned beef, cabbage, soda bread, and coddle. And of course, a bevy of Irish libations. Dr. Scott Stewart is in the studio to serve up some jigs and reels and other festive Irish music to usher in the holiday. Happy St. Paddy's Day, Scott. Thanks, Lois. Same to you. This is such a fun musical holiday. March 17th is the feast day of St. Patrick. Ireland's patron saint, and he hails way back from the 4th century in Roman Britain. Unfortunately, he was kidnapped as a teenager and um, brought to Ireland as an enslaved person. And later on, after his situation improved, it was St. Patrick who introduced Christianity to the Irish, and he was the one who came up with the idea of the shamrock to explain the trinity to parishioners and allegedly he sent all the snakes slithering away from the island which is a good skill to have i I would say it's a good thing (laughs) and naturally it was americans who converted a largely religious holiday into a big party Uh, we have evidence of a saint patrick's day parade in what is now St. Augustine, Florida, back in 1601, so quite a ways back. And certainly lots of records of celebrations in Boston, where we had lots of Irish immigrants, and New York in the 1700s, and it really just grew from there. And what I do love about this holiday is that music has always been central, and uh, so I put a little playlist together to help celebrate our 2021 St. Patrick's Day. Who could resist? Ireland has provided centuries of incredible music ranging from traditional dances to punk, rock, pop, and classical. We've been treated to artists ranging from U2, Van Morrison, The Chieftains, Enya, and flutist James Galway. Looking back, one of Ireland's celebrated Baroque composers was named Rory Dalokan. He was a blind traveling Irish harpist and composer in the 17th century. We don't know much about him, and in fact, some scholars question his very existence, but there is some beautiful music attributed to his pen. And I'm grateful for the conversion of his Gaelic name into a somewhat pronounceable <laughs> English version, uh, Rory Dahl, which means blind Rory, actually. Rory Dahl, okay, and his most popular composition is translated as Give Me Your Hand. And it has many, many different recorded versions that you can find. Here's one being performed on Hammer Dulcimer.
Traditional instruments from Ireland include the fiddle, the balron, the hand drum, the ulian pipes, accordion, and the concertina. And I think the hammered dulcimer also has a, a unique timbre or sound quality that could align with the Celtic harp. So I think this is a really lovely setting of Give Me Your Hand by Irish Baroque composer Rory Dal O'Kean. The 19th century composer John Field, who lived in Ireland during Beethoven's time, was a wonderful pianist as well as composer, and he's often credited as creating the form we call the nocturne, a composition inspired by the night, later made famous by Chopin. Yeah, John Field was a wildly popular pianist and teacher during his time. And in fact, he was one of the first piano virtuosos to develop techniques for using the sustain pedal on piano. So when you hold a note down and press the pedal, the note keeps playing even as you lift your finger off of the key, uh, which we assume was always in place, but was, was not always the case. His nocturnes are sometimes night-like, a little sleepy, but not always. The night is full of mystery and romance and sometimes darkness and intrigue and sometimes cold. And you'll find all of this in these really lovely gems, the nocturnes of John Field. Here's the first of his nocturnes in E-flat major. Elizabeth Joy Rowe performing John Field's Nocturne Number no. 1. In the late 1980s, the Irish pianist John O'Connor recorded several of John Field's works, and they are just marvelous. I think this has helped reinvigorate our knowledge of this really important repertoire by an Irish composer. That's the second movement of composer Amy Beach's Symphony No. 1 in E minor, nicknamed the Gaelic Symphony. We heard the Eureka Ensemble with Christo Kondoski at the podium. Amy Beach is a marvelous figure in music history. Her life spanned the late 19th and a good portion of the first half of the 20th century. She was impeccably well-trained, and I think it's great that you are including her music, not only for its Gaelic connection here, Scott, but in Women's History Month. She's one of those mostly hidden figures who deserves much more attention. Czech composer Antonin Dvorak, who moved from Prague to had the National Conservatory of Music in New York advocated for American composers to use native source materials. In fact, his own New World Symphony from 1893 
fused Native American and African American musical gestures. These were his impressions of those musics, with European and Slavic traditions. Amy Beach challenged that position to some extent, suggesting that Americans might also choose source materials from their own cultural background. Yeah, and in her case, that was what she called the simple, rugged, and unpretentious beauty of the Irish people. Amy Beach was American, so not exactly an Irish composer, but she lived in Boston, which had a huge Irish immigrant population. So she crafted Irish tunes and Celtic musical ideas into this four movement symphony, her symphony number one. And in this second movement, there's a gentle introduction, which features a beautiful oboe solo. And then she brings us a little scherzo, a quick light dance. A little fiddling from Amy Beach's Gaelic Symphony. And it's worth noting that this piece was the first major work by a woman to be performed by an American orchestra, the Boston Symphony, back in 1896. Hmm. Joan Trimble lived from 1915 to 2000. She was a student of noted British composers, Arthur Benjamin, Herbert Howells, and Rayfawn Williams. She had a remarkable career as a pianist, teacher, composer, and businesswoman. And in addition to that amazing lineup of composing teachers that she had, she had a remarkable pedigree, which included studies at Trinity College, the Royal Irish Academy of Music in Dublin, and the Royal College of Music in London. She was a touring pianist. She actually had a piano duo with her sister and wrote a good bit of music early and late in her career with this period of radio silence in the middle of her life because she was out busy doing other things. So even though her composing output is rather small, Joan Trimble is considered one of Ireland's most distinguished composers. Her Suite for Strings is one of my absolute favorites back from 1951. It's a three movement piece and begins with this super jaunty and cheery prelude. Irish Chamber Orchestra performing Joan Trimble's Suite for Strings, the prelude movement. That's from a terrific collection of Irish string orchestra music entitled Silver Apples of the Moon. Oh, with a poetic title to boot. Scott, thank (laughs) you for introducing that music to us. It is wonderful. You have hosted Strike Up the Band, which began life as Summer Winds on WABE 
Since 2006, and you've brought a great deal of classic and new wind music to us, one of the ancestors of the modern wind ensemble is the British Brass Band, which folded in English, Scottish, and Irish folk music from composers such as Rayfawn Williams, Gustav Holst, and Percy Granger. That's right. And Percy Granger, who was born in Australia, German-trained, lived in England, and then moved to America. How's that for an international <laughs> resume? <laughs> Made some of the, the greatest arrangements of Irish folk music of all time. One, the Irish tune from County Derry, which is better known to us as Danny Boy, takes uh, this really beautiful, simple, well-known folk tune and adds a freight train of emotional force along with these really gorgeous, thick wind harmonies and counterlines. It's one of my favorite settings of all wind music. Here's the ending section. Okay, even without a gorgeous tenor voice singing Danny Boy still (laughs) brings tears. The Royal Northern College of Music Wind Orchestra with Percy Granger's setting of the Irish tune from County Derry. Granger also set some lively dance music for wind, Scott. That's right. And one of the great pieces of the wind band repertoire is Molly on the shore. This is from 1907. And typical of Granger, he would write a piece usually on his piano and then make it available for many different kinds of ensembles, which was really good marketing on his behalf. So he did the band version and the orchestra version in 1920. Molly on the Shore combines two Irish reels in a wickedly difficult workout for the clarinets and indeed the entire ensemble. (laughs) Virtuosic music for wind ensemble. The Musashino Academy Wind Orchestra with conductor Ray Kramer from Indiana University with Percy Granger's Molly on the Shore. (laughs) ¶¶ 
sweet Irish music for a lot fewer wins, just flautist James Galway, a native Irishman, and one of the world's great flute virtuosi. This performance embodies the exquisite simplicity and the direct emotional appeal of Irish ballads that are beloved the world over. WABE music contributor Dr. Scott Stewart. We'll return with more Irish music in honor of St. Patrick's Day after a short break. You're listening to WABE Atlanta. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Let's return to more of my conversation with WABE music contributor Dr. Scott Stewart. We've been discussing festive Irish music in honor of St. Paddy's Day. Traditional Irish ballads might be sung by a single vocalist, possibly accompanied by harp. Modern interpretations of these tunes are rendered by skilled choruses around the world. The Bluebird is one such ballad by the Irish composer Charles Villers Stanford. The lyrics are by Mary Coleridge, the great-grandniece of Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And this is stunning poetry and music set to poetry. The first stanza reads, The lake lay blue below the hill, o'er it as I looked, there flew across the waters, cold and still, a bird whose wings were palest blue. Here's a lovely a cappella version by the choir of New College, Oxford, England. music of Irish composer Charles Filler Stanford. The Bluebird. Choirs are also able to catch the spirit of the dance with a little help from the Bowron. This is gantry, a Gaelic term for laughter or merriment in ancient Irish music. And this setting is by Michael McLean. And the singers are the choral scholars of University College Dublin. St. Patrick's Day, we cannot escape the quintessential folk dance of the Irish, the jig. The basic definition of a jig is that it's a lively dance in a compound meter, which means that the division of the beat as you're tapping your foot is in three. 
one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, not two, one, two, one, two, one, two, like you might have in a march. There are jigs from many cultures, but they're most associated with Ireland and Scotland. And there are many subgenres, subjigs, <laughs> of jigs, uh, light jigs, slip jigs, single jigs, double jigs, hop jigs, treble jigs, sand jigs, and so many more. They're just, you could, I think, major in jig studies. <laughs> so we have some, and they're fast and they're slow, and but they're all danceable, which is the, the whole point. So we have another selection from Charles Villers Stanford, the jig from his six Irish fantasies for violin and piano. The Jig from Six Irish Fantasies by Charles Villers Stanford, whose music we heard earlier. This one has a moderate tempo and a more wistful feel. Mm -hmm. Jigs can definitely be high octane, Scott. For sure. remember the scene from Titanic where Jack comes down the famous staircase and asks Rose if she'd like to go to our real party. So they make their way down to the lower part of the boat. And that's when you hear the Irish party in third class from Titanic. Soundtrack music by the late James Horner and this dance music provided by the Irish band Gaelic Storm. There's an old saying among boxers that the Irish punch more than their weight. And for an island that's about the same size as my home state of Indiana, Ireland wields a massive cultural footprint around the world. We're a year into the pandemic, and we can certainly all use the pride and the spirit and the zest for life that we hear in this marvelous music. Happy, happy St. Patrick's Day and happy listening. Oh, and may the luck of the Irish be yours. Dr. Scott Stewart is WABEE music contributor, film music commentator, and host of Strike Up the Band. He's on the music faculty at the Westminster Schools and conductor of the Atlanta Youth Wind Symphony. been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of Atlanta arts and culture. I hope you enjoyed today's St. Patrick's Day celebration with City Lights Twinkling Green. 
Summer Evans is City Lights producer, Shelley Canavy is our engineer, and I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Find archived interviews and shows on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Thank you for listening to WABE at Latta's Choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.